Matthew 16, and I put in the bulletin that we would be going from uh, one particular verse, 13, all the way through verse 23. That's not going to happen today. But, and I had an outline of notes. There's a lot of stuff happening in church today, isn't there? I lost my outline, so we're going to wing it from memory. That's okay. It's up here. All right. Let's pray. Let's pray. A short message for you. You're going to be amazed. You've got to be amazed. Let's pray. Dear Lord God in heaven, thank you that we can be here together today and thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you now for your word. Even though our time is, is a little shorter, it doesn't mean it has to be insignificant or not meaningful. We can like just hear one thing from you and, and it, could, it could change our lives. Powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. So we pray, Lord God, that you would help us to meet you here now in these few moments that we have. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so starting in verse 13. And I'm just, I'm not going to read all the way to 23. I'll, I'll just read down to uh, verse 20. Um, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You're the Christ the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Right? Boy, way too many things to cover in the time that we have, but let's go right into it. So Jesus comes into the region of Caesarea Philippi. How interesting it is that that detail is given to us Caesarea Philippi is north of the Sea of Galilee, a little to the west of the area known as the Golan Heights. It's near Mount Hermon in the north. And uh, it's, the name of it is just, it, it's an amazing place to be for the moment that a Jewish man realizes that his Messiah is standing right in front of him. Just think of the name itself and what it evokes. Caesarea Philippi. Well, you can see plainly that the name Caesarea is named for the Roman emperor Caesar, and the name Philippi is named for the ancient Macedonian emperor Philip, who was the father of Alexander the Great. So you have, the, you have a city that is basically named directly or indirectly for 
the two previous conquerors of Jerusalem and Judea, Julius Caesar and uh, Augustus Caesar and um, Alexander the Great, his father, Philip. What a setting for a Jewish man to realize that he's standing in the presence of God, Jesus the Messiah. I wonder if Jesus chose it that way on purpose, just to make a point. I don't know. It's written in the Gospel of Matthew, so there's a reason why they... I mean, when you think about it, there wasn't really anything particularly necessary about pointing, about pointing out where he was, but they did. So they're standing in Caesarea Philippi, and he asks his disciples a question. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So in that question, Jesus identifies himself as the Son of Man, but does not call himself the Son of God, nor does he call himself the Messiah. So I'm not going to take the time today to go over all of the meaning of the Son of Man, but you can obviously see that at least part of the explanation for it is that Jesus, the Messiah, was in the flesh. He was incarnate. So Son of Man, not entirely, maybe not even primarily, but in part, refers to the fact that God had come to the world as a man. So he is the Son of Man, and he openly says that to them. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, that explanation is not from them. It's an explanation of what they've been hearing from other people. And if you examine those answers, well, some say John the Baptist. It's probably not too hard to figure out where that filtered down from, especially in Galilee, right? Because it is Herod, who was the Tetrarch over Galilee, who had uh, John the Baptist executed. And then when he began to hear word of all of the miracles that Jesus is doing, what did he say to himself? It's John the Baptist risen from the dead. And so the word must have filtered down through all of that, that this is John the Baptist come back from the dead. And so people were considering that perhaps this was right. You know, we sit and we read this now, and it almost maybe seems silly to us. How could anybody think that this was, how, I mean, how could anyone after everything we've read in Matthew so far, how can anyone not realize like who, it's Jesus, obviously it's Jesus. But you have to understand in the context of the time, First of all, there's the, obviously there's no television, there's no internet, there's no radio, there's no printing press. There's, there's, there's nothing to rapidly communicate uh, information about anyone. There's no photographs even, something that we take for granted. You wouldn't even know somebody necessarily from their face because you have, you have no reference point other than your own memory. And so word about something would spread slowly, and it was entirely mouth-to-mouth and entirely, or mouth-to-ear, and, and entirely by... Uh, person to person and slowly the old-fashioned way, right? And so, uh, so the people are listening and they're trying to figure out who this is and the word is starting to spread among them that, you know, Herod had John the Baptist. John the Baptist had become well-known before Jesus did. And they're starting to think to themselves, well, this must be John the Baptist risen from the dead because that's what Herod certainly thinks. Then some say Elijah. And some of the understanding of Scripture goes into that one. The idea that Elijah was uh, the one who would be the forerunner of the Christ. 
right? And so, in a sense, John the Baptist and Elijah, in a way, they're the same person, even though literally Elijah was a different person who lived, it's actually mentioned in James chapter 5 that we just read, was literally a prophet that had lived centuries before. This, the, the forerunner of the Messiah, the prophet said, would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, So the Jews had a very common saying among themselves that continues among Jewish people to this day that before Messiah comes, Elijah must come first. And of course, the Bible explains to us from our perspective and our time looking back on history that if you can accept it, John the Baptist is Elijah who was to come because he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He was not literally Elijah. Obviously, he was his own man. He was John the Baptist. So some people are saying that because they have that in mind. And then others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets, and that might be a derivation of what they knew Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And for time's sake, I won't have you turn there, but you can. But Moses wrote as part of the law, after giving all these commandments, and in Deuteronomy, in the second time that he's giving them the law, he said to them that a prophet like me will arise. And he goes on to explain that he's going to teach the people and he's going to lead the people, right? And so that saying that a prophet like him was going to arise, that spread through the centuries of understanding to mean that maybe one day one of the prophets is going to rise up again. And of course, again, from our perch in the 21st century A.D., we can look back and very easily see and understand from the scripture that this prophet that Moses spoke of is also a reference to the Messiah because we know that Messiah would fulfill the major roles in the kingdom of Israel that God had ordained. He would be a descendant of David and therefore he would be the king who would sit on David's throne when Messiah comes again, right? But he would also fulfill the role of prophet Right, because he fulfills that role uh, that was Moses laid out in Deuteronomy 18, and he also fulfills what other role? The role of the priesthood. Right, the 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 Levites, Moses and uh, Aaron, that is, and his descendants who were Levites were set aside with the priestly ministry in the temple and in the nation. But we are told of Messiah that he is a priest of an entirely different order. He is a priest. According to the order of Melchizedek, Hebrews lays this out, which I won't go through all the details now. But all of this prophet, the priesthood, and the royal Davidic line, the king, all of that is fulfilled in the man who is standing in front of them and asking, who do men say that I am? So all the people's answers are what? Well, John the Baptist. Some say he's Elijah or he's Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Notice what it does not say. Before verse 15. It does not say any of the stuff that I just said. Now, it's good for us to say those things because we want to be careful about studying and understanding our Bibles. But Jesus just blips right over all of it and gets right to the point for them. I'm talking to a congregation of what I believe to be mostly believers, hopefully, all believers. Right? And so for us, we're studying God's word because we want to understand every nuance. Jesus was speaking to people, his disciples, whom he had ministered to and in front of for 
a good amount of time already and had traveled extensively with them. And obviously from the context of the conversation they're having, there was not yet a full assertion that even his closest disciples believed in him or understood who he was even. So Jesus goes right from listening to them say who other people say they are, and he asks a question, and the question is profound. The question is timeless. The question reaches down all the way to us. It's a question that should come out of our mouths when talking to other people. And it's a question that we ought to rehearse in our own minds and remember the answer to ourselves. Who do you say that I am? Who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Etc., etc. Then he says to them, but, contrast, who do you say that I am? And then what follows, starting in verse 16 and going all the way through to verse 23, which obviously isn't going to happen today, is a very interesting study of the Christian heart as exemplified in the Apostle Peter. Because the first thing we're told, and this is as far as we'll go with it today, hopefully this will be good and meaningful for you. The first thing that we're told is that Simon Peter answers and says, you're the Christ. You understand the word Christ. It's very important that Christians understand the word Christ. That almost sounds comical to say. If you call yourself a Christian, you ought to know what it means, right? So Christ is the, from the Greek, kurios, which is the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew Moshiach, which is where we get Messiah. So when he says you're the Christ, he's not just giving Jesus what seems sometimes like his last name. He's, he's saying, we understand you're the one. You're not John the Baptist. You're not one of the prophets. You're not Elijah. You're the one that all of the aforementioned was pointing us to. You're him. You're it. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. Look at the next part of it. What a revelation Peter received. You're the Christ. Look at this. The son of the living God. Even among Jewish people, even among Jewish people today, the idea that Messiah is the son of God and therefore divine, God in the flesh, is not generally accepted. Even among Jews who are looking for Messiah today to come, it is not generally accepted that Messiah is the Son of God. Here's Peter, this Jewish Galilean fisherman, recognizing you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Look, before I get into Peter, uh, Jesus' response to that, and this is probably going to be where I'll wrap it up, I really want to go into what Peter uh, is told then by Jesus and how you're blessed because no man told you this, but God revealed it to you. We'll, 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 we'll pick that apart next week and, and some of the other stuff about 
you know, you're Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and I'll give you, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on heaven will be bound. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, right? And all that. But this, this, this confession that you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God, the whole world needs to know that The whole world needs to be brought to that. And you and I need to remind ourselves of that. It is the great question of questions and it is the great answer of answers. It is the great confession. When Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, it is out of a heart of faith that he speaks. God has revealed it to him. He believes and he boldly speaks up in front of all of the other skeptics standing around and says so. And not that, not that it's all like just rosy and perfect after that because it seems like about five minutes later, Jesus is saying to him, get behind me, Satan. That's over in, in verse 22. So we'll get to that as well. But still, you have this incredible, amazing confession that he's the Christ. Why did Peter know that he was the Christ And what are the ramifications of it? And this is where I'll leave you. Peter knew that he was the Christ because God had shown it to him. Let me ask you to back up into the previous 15 chapters of Matthew and ask this question. How did God show it to him? Well, we could simply say that God is sovereign and showed it to him by his spirit, like the Bible would say, right? And that's fine. But what you have in Matthew chapter 1 through 15, is what? You have a record of all of these wonderful things that Jesus did. And even as Jesus did all of these things, you had the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and even the Romans and the religious rulers and Herod. And and you had all of these people rejecting, 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 rejecting. Even John the Baptist himself at one point sent from prison a messenger to Jesus and said, are you the one or do we look for somebody else? And here comes the Galilean fisherman. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. It matters not. It matters not who you are. It matters not where you've come from. It matters not what your background is. Here is Peter who simply humbly, openly, honestly looked and thought about what he was seeing and hearing about this Jesus who he was following around. And God used this in great power to soften his heart and bring him to the point where he confessed, man, this is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. We need to be praying for people. We need to be witnessing to people. We need to be living our own lives sanctified and holy that we might be a testimony to other people around us. Our own lives, our own charity, our own kindness, our own grace, our own good works ought to be able to be used by our master the same way he used his own miraculous works to convince people that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And then we should open our mouths and teach people the truth so that God might use us to give other people the chance to come to the realization that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. 
That seems like a paltry sermon that I've preached to you today because I feel like I just did what typically would be an introduction to a sermon. But I think that's going to be enough where we're going to leave you. But I want you to, I want you to think about this as you go. Peter, listen, listen, because you can put this into your application in your life right now. Peter saw what Jesus did and God revealed to him this was the Christ. What, listen, listen, what do people see in you? What do they hear in you? Listen, listen, is it enough for God to use to convince people that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This same Jesus taught his disciples, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Can we not, at least in this little tiny little nibble that we've taken on this passage today, at least go away and realize that how we live ought to be something that we surrender to the Lord because he wants to use it to show people what he showed Peter. Because we want other people to hear and to know. Can you put that into application in your life immediately? Stand up with me and let's close in prayer.